Did it have a turbo button on the front? Uh, I think it didn't do anything, though. Um, oh. Maybe the 486, the turbo button was like the opposite. It would slow down the computer. If you're playing games that, <laughs> games that weren't timed properly, then you would really? push the button really? to slow it down. Uh, Hey everybody, welcome to episode 104 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitter and I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Aaron Vay in Whitby, Ontario. Hi there. And we also have Mark Rubin down in San Jose, California. Hello. And we have Greg Heo coming to us from San Francisco, California. What's going on, everyone? Right. Yeah, what is going on, everyone? The Olympics, Not a whole lot. Uh, election, lots of stuff. Tragically Hip's playing their first uh, show in Toronto tonight. Isn't it Tragically Hip Day? Didn't the mayor declare it? Did he? I, I, oh, he I did. Yep. Who knows? Who knows? I'm, st- I'm keeping up with my Toronto news. All right. <laughs> so speaking of which, we have some after Ask MTJC. Troy Hanner, a.k.a. Third Beach, third underscore beach on Twitter, asks if Greg drives his moose as a passenger in the car so he can use the HOV lanes in California. <laughs> I don't have a driver's license. I don't have a car. But if I did, according to Caltrans, um, blow up fake passenger mannequins infants uh if you're pregnant and pets apparently do not count or maybe infants Pet? count it has oh, to be really? a person who uses a seat belt and that's what counts oh i see so right. a moose unfortunately would probably be classified as a pet so the answer is no but you know if you've got a, a mounty uniform and put it on the moose with a hat, <laughs> you could probably get away with it <laughs> and another uh, another ask mtjc from daniel ramirez asks if any of us i guess basically if any of us have ever used uh, or know of any uh, Udacity, I think that's what it's called, Udacity courses. And I know that uh, one of our friends, Neil North, a uh, friend of the show from Australia, I believe, do- has done a couple of courses. He created a couple of courses on game design and game development. And he, I think he did, correct me if I'm wrong, Greg, he did one in Objective-C, but he's done a recent one in Swift. I believe so. You're right. It was game-related. I want to say it was SpriteKit as well, but I don't right, remember yeah. for sure. Yeah, SpriteKit yeah. for sure, yeah. yeah. Maybe when Sprite Kit first came out, he did the first one. and So I'm not sure if anybody's actually done any uh, intro iOS-type courses, right? So Yeah, he was asking about Udacity Nano Degrees in particular, which I'd yeah. never heard of. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah uh, I, I checked yeah. the website, and it, it looks like it's a, you know, a certificate-type of program, kind of like what Coursera or edX does. My thoughts on those are, are if you want to learn a topic, get a kind of a broad introduction to a topic, those kind of things are, are, are pretty good, you know, because you'll be immersed in it a little bit and, and have some lectures and exercises ready to go. But my gut feeling, without actually having really done it, my gut feeling is that it's if you're if you're going into one of those expecting to get enough skills to go out and find a job after, uh, it's probably not enough on its own. Yeah. So yeah, they're they're very similar to the one the ones that I've seen in the past. I've you know looked at them for different teaching styles or whatever. And to learn iOS, to be honest with you, um, they cover very, very sort of survey courses, very much like a beginning iOS kind of book would be, like a beginning iPhone development book series from Appress, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, or even, I mean, but you know, one of the, I've always said this before. The uh, one of the good courses or books that I series I like are the Bigner Ranch books, right? So, yeah. Yeah. and also there's there's also you can go to courses. I think um, uh, I don't know where this person's coming from, but um, the Big Nerd Ranch has a couple of campuses, one in Atlanta and one, I believe one in California somewhere. We talked about it on the show before. And um, there's a school in Texas called OxU, I believe, right? That, that's run by Jerry Beers or associated with it somehow. Alt-U, and, I uh, think, right? Alt-U, Alt-U. is that what it is? Yeah. 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 
and they're teaching uh, Swift and stuff like that. And then there are courses, a few courses here in Canada and stuff like that. I've taken a few courses on Coursera and edX, mm-hmm. and I way back when I was maybe after a year after I learned iOS, I was like maybe I should learn the real way, and I followed the Stanford, very popular Stanford uh, right, CS yeah, exactly. That's a good one. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like you could go through those and then go and write an app, but it's something you really have to. I mean, I guess it's just like anything; you have to really put the time into it. You'll kind of get out of it what you put into it, and if you go through it and do the research and follow the exercises and all of that, then I would say, yeah, you could be skilled enough. I mean, three out of four of us are self-taught in terms of the programming world. Although, Mark, you didn't learn programming in school, did you? Well, I took some courses, but that, uh, that okay. wasn't my major or anything like that. No. Okay, yeah. So then maybe all, and I would say every every working programmer to some degree is self-taught because, you know, the stuff you learn in school doesn't always translate over like you're not going to learn ruby in school let's say if you become a rails developer that kind of thing although maybe they teach ruby but you know what i mean so yeah yeah i would say i don't know are these things free like would i pay for a udacity certificate i know like edX they had the program where you could just take the course or if you wanted their certificate you would have to go to a center where they would check your id for you to sit the exams just to make sure it was you and then you would you know for 50 dollars or whatever and you would get like an official looking certificate saying that you passed the course is that worth it? I don't know. I think we're lucky to work in a field where it's not so um, credential-driven. Uh, maybe like those Microsoft certified professionals, maybe those people still need that kind of thing. I don't know. But at least in sort of mobile development that we're doing, uh, there's not really like a certified iOS developer program where you get a piece of paper and then it's easy to get a job. So I would say yeah. if you want to follow the set of courses on Udacity or wherever, then that's fine. If you have to pay extra to get like an extra certificate, like I have my edX certificate with a fancy URL that you can go to that verifies it with some kind of cryptographic <laughs> keys. So, yeah. if you, but you know, I have never posted that. No one has ever asked me for that. So I would say um, just to do it for the knowledge, but I'm not sure that the actual piece of paper certificate would actually be, I don't know, like a hiring manager, how seriously they would take it anyway. So no, I wouldn't, wouldn't I wouldn't it do it for yeah. that. I would do it for yeah. the skills, build up your portfolio, whatever, yeah. take on freelance work, whatever you want to do and kind of go from there. Yeah, I've, I've done some of those certification courses from Apple on, on systems, like on help desk and server support, because I needed to get, a, I needed to get the Apple designation to get to become a member of, of the uh, Apple Consultant Network when I was doing the consulting side of mm-hmm. things, right? But but I was going, what I want to say, though, the main point is that there's nothing like having an actual task. Like when I was trying to learn web, I actually had a website to deal with, right? Um, I learned PHP because I had a hockey pool that I had to run, you know, and then I learned iOS because one of my main clients who had done, you know, after I developed some skills as a web developer, I had one client who said, I want to get on the iPad in this particular case. And so now I had a task in, in hand. And I had to go out and figure out how to do it. And, you know, so I hired some senior developers to work with me, and, and I kind of muddled through uh, learning how to how to build it. So I remember the first year I went to WWDC, it was like a deer with the headlights on. Like, just I was, like, walking through sessions going, what the hell are these people talking about, you know? <laughs> but, you know, over time, you kind of pick up, pick up more skills. And, you know, I read lots of lots of books, and you know, Mark and I have read some of the common books. Uh, we've, we shared notes on some books we saw, we read in the past, and... Um, some of them are like way out of date, but mm-hmm. but that's you kind of sort of just have to you know latch onto something you want to build because you know what you'll learn in these courses you'll learn some skills you learn how to build something the teacher wants you to learn how to build but that does that's not the same as you coming up with the idea creating the app thinking how what what the use cases are going to be designing logos or getting a friend to design the logos 
And actually, I think a lot of a lot of recruiters and stuff like that who are looking for things, a lot of a lot of resume readers will look for uh, you to have had an app published on the App Store as well. I mean, that seems to be for a while there that was sort of a, a requirement as well as as well as having the skills, right? But people do learn in different ways. You know, some people like to have the structure of a course, and and if you're that type of person, then yeah, it could it could potentially be a good thing. I personally, and I think everybody on the call uh, are the type of person who kind of goes out and learn by your on your own by yourself. Uh, but some people do like to have that structure. So if that helps you to get started, great. But I, like we've all been saying, I don't think you can only do that. You're going to have to go off. You can take the course, but you have to go off and do your own work as well. Yeah, the, unfortunately, the, all the pieces are there, but nobody tells you what the puzzle looks like at the end. Right? Right. You know, it's like it's like trying to do a puzzle without having to see what the picture looks like. And it's a white polar bear in a blizzard, you know, white on white. Yeah. All right, so we have some Matthew. Wait, wait, wait. There is one more actual, well, I shouldn't oh. say actual, actual Ask MTJC from at Third Beach. Troy oh, Hannah. yes, that's right. Yes. Uh, this is more for you guys. I don't think I know anything about this. But he asks, do you think iMore dropping news from its site is a clever move or a sign of serious problems for Apple-centric media? I think Aaron will have something to say about this. So to answer your question, it is a clever move. It is not a sign of serious problems. It is actually the smartest thing I've seen in a long time. Why? Because there is no shortage of news sources for Apple News. Uh, Everyone can get it from anywhere. As soon as something is known in the Apple universe, there are more than enough sites to report on that. So there is no dearth of of news sources. Uh, What there is a dearth of is smart and serious commentary about the broad issues in the Apple-centric universe, such as it is. What iMore is attempting to do is bring to bear what makes them distinct in the Apple universe, and what they see as distinct right now are uh, commentary and how-to guides uh, that help people get more out of their technology, hence the name. Right. So, uh, to my mind, I think this is fantastic and and very clever, and uh, I really appreciate what they've done. Um, So, it's made me more interested, and... um, uh, they also, uh, just incidentally, have a podcast called Apple Talk with Mike Gartenberg and Renee Ritchie and uh, Serenity Caldwell, sort of the three principals that are journalisting over there. Uh, they often have a guest, guest speaker on the show, and uh, they've been a couple weeks without an episode, but I believe they're coming out with a new one soon. It has been weekly, uh, but an excellent podcast uh, to go with a very excellent website. So, yes, smart move. I'm more is one of the places I go to to look for sort of if apple comes out with a new piece of hardware like say a new ipad pro for instance um they'll kind of break it down and they'll go through the different use cases of it and they'll talk about the different features and stuff like that which is more than just apple stock prices fell down yesterday you know which anybody can do as you said so i was a little surprised to see them to get away from the news site but to your point pretty much anything they report on everybody else is reporting on when it comes to news about apple's announcements or rumors or whatever but uh, like I said, they are they are a site that I definitely do go to for that kind of information, sort of like I would do back in the day when Macworld was a magazine or Mac User was even a magazine. Um, you would, I would kind of get them every month and I would kind of flip through them. And, and the, the news section was usually like maybe two or three pages at the front, but they would, you know, do editorial pieces on sort of editorial how-tos and editorial uh, examinations of some of the new hardwares or technologies coming from Apple, for instance, right? That's my two cents. All right. Let's do some uh, follow-up, hmm? F you. F you, Tim. You've got, you've got something here. Yes, I do. I, and this follows up on my piece that I talked about um, on PATS, Protocol Oriented with Associated Types, talk that Natasha the Robot did. 
Um, and she mentions uh, the uh, presenter in this particular case, Alexis Gallagher. And this happens to be a free session from the RW DevCon 2016, uh, and it's from the advanced series of uh, talks. Uh, Alexis goes through an introduction to protocol-oriented programming, and he does touch on, at the end of it, uh, program, protocol-oriented programming with associated types. And he goes through side-by-side, uh, side, shows you how uh, inheritance works in, in traditional type programming models, and then does the same thing using protocol-oriented programming to sort of give you a sort of sense of what the plus and minuses of both of those approaches to programming are. And then at the end of it, he, the lab covers off uh, more advanced features. So he's, he's a really good explainer, if you will, of uh, what's going on with uh, with these different technologies and the pluses and minuses. And like I said, there are, there's not much content from RWDevCon that's, that's actually free. And this happens to be one that I stumbled across when I was looking for follow-up information. Yeah, I, was, I watched that video from last week and it was very good. Uh, Natasha's talk on Pats. So... Keep following this thread. I mean, if um, you know, we've, you've heard us talk in previous shows in, in last year when Swift was coming from nowhere, and I was bemoaning the lack of an idiomatic Swift. Well, guess what? Uh, protocols are idiomatic Swift. So that's, right. yep. that's, um, that's what you need to figure out. And uh, anyone who's bemoaning uh, recent changes to Swift, such as final on class inheritance, mm. for example, doesn't yet have the religion, as it were, <laughs> about yeah. what what uh, Swift is about, because you're not going to be subclassing as much anymore. You're going to be uh, implementing protocols. And so, yeah. uh, you know, get on the boat. The train is leaving. Mix another metaphor. Uh, watch this video. <laughs> so when are we going to start working on the book, Aaron? Yeah, I'm all over it, Greg. I'm, I'm on it like, like white on rice. Uh, oh, wait. It's, it's whole wheat rice, and I'm not on it at all. My goodness. <laughs> It's interesting. I had a conversation with a young gentleman uh, earlier this week who was, you know, adamant that he was not, not going to do any Swift until 4.0 ship because of all the breaking changes. And when we got into discussion as to why Swift was different and better in some ways than Objective C, we're still in an Objective C world in in my working world, but you know, we're moving towards Swift and we're looking at Swift a little more seriously, right? And uh, yeah, I got a real stubborn reception. And when I explained to him all the different things, and one of the one of the other uh, members of the team mentioned, no, there's no KVO in Swift. And they said, yeah, but there are Swift observers that you can use just as well. And there's lots of uh, advantages of, of, you know, for the compiler and for running of your program and making your program smaller, more concise. That happens when you're working with Swift. So lots of reasons to keep looking at this guy. Yep. yep. And get Swifty. And actually, you know, something I wonder about, and... Um... I'm not sure if this is the case or not. So here, here's what I'm wondering. When Swift was invented and, you know, Chris Latner was, was cooking up Swift version one, what became version one, I wonder if he understood it as a protocol-oriented language. Would you, would, would you say that that was like straight up the understanding from, from day one? Or is that something that kind of came out of, uh, you know, contact with the broader world and people looking at it and determining that there is this powerful capability if they made some tweaks to it? It's funny that you should say that because I did hear something last week and I can't remember what context it was that, and maybe it was something you said on the show last week about it kind of maybe sort of was something that was accidentally came across. But that said, this, as and you'll see in this, if you watch this video by Alexis, um, programs like Haskell and other languages, which I can't remember the name of, have these kind of, I don't know what they call them, idioms, you know, structures, ways of, ways of programming, um, programming patterns, right, that, uh, that are similar similar in a lot of ways or maybe even be called pro protocol oriented 
that are in their language that don't use an inheritance model. And, and I know, I know Ash Furrow, our, our, our friend and uh, fellow coder, um, was going on about, you know, Haskell and things like that, long, just as Swift was being announced, uh, saying that, you know, that it was time for something beyond Objective-C. And I think that's where, in my, in my recollection, that's where Swift came from, is sort of that um, needing to sort of move into a more modern style of programming. So, Mark, you have so you posted. Yeah, some so I, I found a couple of articles. It looks like the source article was a Bloomberg article talking about uh, the new MacBook Pros uh, that we've oh, really? been wondering about for for some time now. And uh, this article, which we'll put in the in the notes, kind of summarizes all the things that we've been talking about. You know, things like the LED strip and the and the uh, the uh, the Touch ID, you know, being in the where the power button now is in the, in the LED and and uh, things things along that line, uh, and their claim is that it will not be available for the September Apple event, where presumably they're going to have the new iPhones, etc. Uh, but they're expecting maybe October or sometime around there they'll have another event. But according to these guys, the, there is definitely a plan to have new models in the fall. Hmm. I'm going to miss those function keys. What about you guys? Not yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm kind of. Yeah, I'm kind of neutral on function keys in general, but if uh, if I would be required to go to that OLED pad to do things, I wouldn't like that because a lot of times I I work with a, a wireless keyboard and a large monitor, and I just use my 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 laptop kind of on the side as as the as the brain, mm-hmm. uh, but I never touch it. So so if it forces me to go and use that OLED pad for something, I probably won't like that very much. Hmm. But we'll see. I can't imagine that. Yeah. You can't imagine it, Aaron? It's just what I said. Yeah, I cannot imagine what Mark said being true. Okay. I guess it'll just right. be optional, like Touch ID. Like um, like anything. Like anything on the Mac. There's there's always three ways of doing things. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder That's how true. customizable, like, is it just going to be, give me 10 functions and I'll put them in there in whatever order you want? Or can I be like, I want the entire left side to be, you know, minus and the entire right side to be plus or, you know, something like that? I'm just curious to see what the API is going to look like for it. But, um, yeah, I also don't open my computer a lot of the time, so I probably wouldn't use it too much. Okay, that's it, Mark? <laughs> that's it. Yep, not much more to say about it. Oh, and they'll be thinner and they'll be lighter, of course. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, all the <laughs> usual stuff. Yeah. Faster. Well, I had an exchange with, exchange with a friend of mine, Seth Friedman, who I met at uh, WWDC 2014. He was one of the scholarship winners, or, yeah, student scholarship. He works at Amazon in Seattle now, and I think he's met Jaime. But uh, he posted a, a link about how eBay is adding Touch ID, but they're also adding a sort of strange one-time password login method. Just seems strange to me. Well, I read that article, and it's it's SMS based. It's it's kind of just like all the other stuff we were talking about for two-factor authentication a couple of weeks ago, uh, which isn't particularly secure. So, right. So I'm not sure this is a move forward at all. It's maybe a move sideways at best. Yeah, and that was my, I think it was my intention of putting it into the show notes, um, was the fact that, as you pointed out, NIST, I think, is the people who sort of, they right. don't set a formal standard, but they set a standard or Recommendations. people yeah. people listen to them, uh, suggesting that SMS for two-factor authentication proof of identity wasn't really that secure or reliable, right? Right, right. I mean, so, I, you know, I don't know about you guys, but 
you know, when my browser says to me, hey, do you want me to remember this password? I go, never. You know, uh, I use one password to remember passwords that I need to remember. And I, because I can always just open it up and, and uh, get the password I need if the interface or whatever GUI I'm working with doesn't support it. Um, but yeah, I tend not to save passwords in the browsers or, or let websites keep, you know, my, my credit card on file for the next time I decide to come and do a one, one time, one push purchase. I just don't have, I don't have that kind of faith in society to protect my data. What do you guys think about that? Well, I'm the same way about credit cards, but I'll, I'll let it, I'll let it save my passwords. I, I use iCloud keychain actually. I, I guess nobody else here does, but, uh, I, I have good luck with it. Um, maybe I have too much faith in Apple, but it seems to work fine. Yeah, well, the keychain is a different thing, and I've often wondered about using um, keychain to sync between my various devices because, um, yeah, like you said, it's uh, it's it's handy to have them in one sort of place, right? Or to, and I do know from working with the keychain itself that it's everything's like securely encrypted and right. very difficult to get out, right? So, yeah, and if you ever have been to a visitor website on your on your Mac and then you need to go to the same place on your on your iPhone and you forget what password you used and uh, when you so when you signed in and you're away from home, you're out and about. You don't have your convenient uh, way of getting the password. Well, I guess if you use one password, it's, it does the same thing. But but I rely on iCloud password for all that. So I, I'm sorry, iCloud keychain for all that. Yeah, I think that uh, for me, like I, I don't know. I always think because I'm working with a laptop a lot of the times. If mm-hmm. I lose that laptop and somehow somebody gets into it, you know, then it's like just one le- one extra level that I know was not you know uh, exploitable. Right. But is it is it any worse than one password uh, if if the keychain is protected? Yeah. And one with one master key with one master password, which it is, uh, isn't that the same as one password being protected with one? Master yeah, key? it, uh, it is password. too. And 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 one thing I'm, I, I would really like, and hopefully people from Agile Bits are listening, is or or somebody is listening, is is a way of using. Um, Touch ID to unlock one password on the Mac because you still have to use a master password on the on the Mac, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the whole concept behind it: one remembering one password to get all your stuff. But I mean, I do things like I, I store my Visa card and for me, Visa cards for different websites, and and I tag them. So, like with my Royal Bank card, you know, I know when when that card renews, I can quickly make a list of all those websites that I have to go and update uh, the information on because I do have some recurring payment stuff. Is don't get me wrong, I do that, but. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, utility in one password beyond just saving passwords, right? Because mm-hmm. you can tag things and you can group them and whatever. So um, yeah, it's just sort of uh, anyway. Coming back to this this, this eBay decision, um, I, I I applaud them for using for using Touch ID to let me log in, but I don't know about the I'm not a big per- like that. What is it? Apple has that one one button sort of purchase thing that, or maybe it's Amazon. I'm thinking of not a big fan of that kind of stuff. Amazon has one click, yeah, one tap, one tap, or one click, or whatever. It's patented. Apple or Amazon? Or? Amazon. Amazon. Okay. Is. Right. I think that's patented, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, like I said, step backward. Troy Hanna again, third beach, third underscore beach, um, posted a comment on the uh, website about. Um, I think it's a. Oh, what is it? You guys read this at all? No. Can you explain it? Uh, yeah, no, he was talking about the impact of streaming services, and he actually wrote a blog post on it, which is why I was kind of hoping you guys had looked at that. Yeah. Because um, he calls, he refers to kiss- casino apps in the in the article. Yeah. Okay, so the, the gist of it is that he, he looked at all of the top grossing apps in the App Store and found that 
most of the top grossing apps came from things like casino apps, where it's it's not so much the purchase of the app or or you know you know in app purchases or whatever inside the app. It's it's more the service that the app provides that people are paying for. So so he's saying that the the app store revenues are way balanced towards uh, streaming types, not streaming, but, but services in general, and and that's where the money is coming from. So. So people who have services that apps access are making most of the money from the app store. That's kind of his his take on it. Yeah, I was a little confused by the category of casino. Do we have like slot type apps on the app store? There, there are. Yeah, actually, I, I know this because I, I used to write uh, some poker oriented apps. So, right, so yeah. uh, there is a there is a subcategory of games called casino, and if you look at it, yeah, it's all. You know, there's a lot of video poker. There's a lot of slots, um, lots and lots of, lots and lots of them, tons of them. And as far as I know, you still can't in the U.S. You know, gambling is is not legal uh, online. So, so as far as I know, you can't buy tokens and then play and then win. Um, well, you can you can buy the tokens. You can buy tokens to play. But what makes it illegal is they can never pay you back. So you can never cash oh, out. Oh, really? So, oh, really? Yeah, so I don't know why people do this, but apparently they, they do quite a bit. Or maybe it's not U.S. I, I don't know. I don't know. Is, yeah, is it legal in Canada? No, no, it's not. And, and a lot of uh, a lot of the online web, web-based web uh, uh, things, I know I know a gentleman who went into that business, and it's a lot of offshore uh, mm-hmm. hosting and money, right? Yeah, um, yeah. That's why, you know, to be honest, I'm a little disappointed to find that there is. I, I wouldn't go looking for casino apps on on iOS, but I'm, I am a little surprised that they're there. Yeah. Um, and, and so is, he, is his article saying uh, that those are the top grocers? I thought he was talking also about, um, you know, the big boys that we've talked about before, the Clashville clans. And, uh, well, those two, yeah. The, so the, the, the point the wasn't specifically pointing out casino apps. It was it was pointing out that most of the high-grossing apps are services, you know, they, and they can be those those big games, online games, as, as well as casino and things like that. But it's in general, they're apps where you're paying to go use some service outside of the world of the app. And the app is just kind of your portal into it. Well, yeah. And his point here in one of the paragraphs about uh, 94% of the app store revenue comes from 1% of the publishers. That's sort of yep. what Aaron, Aaron was saying about not wanting to hear about the 50, was it 50 million or 50 billion or whatever paid out to developers when we all right. know that that's like a handful of people, right? Right. Why don't you talk about your Microsoft leak? We love to hear about backdoor exploits. Yeah, we do, especially in the context of um, of, of the world that we're living in right now. So what's happened, uh, as you might recall, at the time that the terrorist attack that happened in San Bernardino, California, uh, can we call that a terror attack? Why not? Sure. Everything is. It's on Terra, right? So we can call it that, right? Perfect. So after that, the FBI was really after Apple to... Um, to let them have a special version of iOS and uh, failing that at least to have a, what they call politicians refer to this as a golden key, a, in, in, a, you know, a sort of code that law enforcement can use to get special uh, admin level access to the operating system. Apple of course uh, resisted that because they, uh, as, as anyone would know, uh, understand the dangers of, of having such access, you know, even as, as well held as possible, uh, it still has a potential of, of getting loose, um, especially in the hands of law enforcement, where, you know, as a group are not known to be as tight-lipped as, say, Apple is on such things. Uh, Microsoft, of course, being the lap boy of enterprise and government, 
um, does have a golden key to uh, to their version of whatever it is that uh, secures their operating system. Windows Secure Boot, uh, which protects their their OS from um, from being overridden. Okay, so. Um, and of course, uh, given that they did have this golden key, it was uh, shaken loose and does now exist in the wild uh, at um, the Black Hat conference this past week. Some researchers demonstrated that uh, that the secure boot key is is available and anybody can have it. And so that's that's really it. That's uh, it's just basically I'm po- posting the story because uh, it proves that Apple was right. Uh, they were right to resist the FBI's overtures in this. They are right to resist any politician looking to have some kind of backdoor, because once it's it exists, it's only a matter of time before everyone can have it, including the bad guys. So right. that's bad. You know, and I can't say I'm shocked, you know, like, uh, you know, no, nothing's going to come of this, of course. Um, it's just going to be, oh, yes, of course, Windows is insecure. <laughs> That's not that. news, Aaron. That's, That's not news. Not news. But speaking of which, too, uh, I saw Jaime posted earlier today that say that yet another Android exploit, uh, or sorry, malware, but has gone out and affected millions of devices, or potentially affects millions of Android devices. His comment was, he's so glad that he uses an iPhone in that case. Mm-hmm. But Mark, didn't I see something related to this? You did. Uh, yeah. So I, I found an article talking about, uh, well... It's a follow-up to something that happened in, in the Apple world, I think, this week, uh, that for the first time ever, Apple is now giving away a bounty on right. security issues that are found or, or security holes. So so if you can find some security crack or hole in iOS, uh, Apple will give you up to $200,000 uh, to report it to them. Right. And and this is something that a lot of a lot of companies do, frankly, but uh, but Apple has always resisted doing for, for whatever reason. Uh, so I think it's probably actually a, a positive move from Apple's point of view. I mean, maybe it uh, maybe it has some negative connotations in that they're finally being forced to admit that there are some issues and they can't catch them all. But right. the positive spin on it is they're they're being a little bit proactive to try to find these issues uh, before someone malicious does it. Uh, and the the article that I posted was about another company, a third party is actually offering, they're called uh, Exodus Intelligence, their security firm. They're offering up to $500,000 if you find a vulnerability right, in iOS, right. which is kind of interesting. Well, it's I, kind of, I think that's the downside of Apple offering a bounty at all. These guys are, these guys are instantly one up them, right? Or in a sense. Yeah. I'm not sure how that works. You know, so if they're paying more than Apple is paying, then obviously if you, people who find one and are just interested in a payout go to them, what do they get out of it after that, except an ability to to exploit the system? I guess they can then go to Apple and say, well, we don't want your smaller bounty. We'll just announce this information unless you give us a million dollars or something like that. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Well, yeah. My understanding is that there's a black market for exploits to the operating system. Sure, there is. Right? Sure, sure. Yeah, but if you're a security days. firm, then in theory, you're not supposed to be involved in that stuff. You're supposed to be on the good well, guy's side. That's the question, isn't it? Yeah. So what exactly is a zero-day vulnerability? Can anybody take that one? It's, it's a vulnerability that, uh, that has not been uh, announced by the vendor, and uh, there is no solution to it at present. So right. it's, it's, like, um, it's, it's as, as much a surprise to the vendor as it is to us, which means that anybody can take advantage of it, and there's nothing to stop them until an update is made available, right? 
Right, right. Hmm. So um, here, zero-day vulnerabilities are also valuable to private security companies like Exodus. Uh, they make its business by alerting clients of critical threats before the system, before the software providers and hackers know of them. So I guess they have big companies that pay them lots of money. I think that's probably what it is. Right. And then they can charge for solutions or whatever, right? Maybe? I don't know. It depends on where their their big money's coming from, right? Yeah. Yes, they've got a hit list here for iOS 9.3, Google Chrome, Microsoft Edge, Firefox, Windows 10? What's that? Um, Adobe Reader, Adobe Flash. Adobe Flash? Seriously? Adobe Flash. <laughs> People still have that installed on their computers? No, yeah, they're, they're offering 60000 bucks for Adobe Flash. You'd think it would be a lot lower considering how common it is. <laughs> to Probably and also how easy it is to find one, like relatively speaking easy, I mean. Well, that's why I was thinking it should be a lot lower. <laughs> right, right. Um, the next version of Chrome, I think, coming out uh, is going to pull support for Flash. Yeah. You no, know, it's always got oh, really? Flash support uh... built in. Um, it's going away, I think, this fall. Cool. Yeah, that is cool. All right. Um, so I saw this article, Greg, as well, and I read it, and I thought, hmm, that's interesting. But yes, you've posted here to the notes about how to have healthy relationships as a developer. Can you fill us in on that one? Yeah, it had kind of an interesting title, and I was like, all right, I'll click on this. I think it was on Hacker News or something where I saw it. And it's kind of a work-life balance-ish kind of a, kind of a post, mm-hmm. but kind of interesting because it was talking about relationships you might have with non-technical people in your life and how focusing too much on the tech side and i don't know working on code in the evenings and not being able to explain the code side to non-technical people in your life sort of what that does to you in your um non-work life and it was an interesting twist on the usual like oh just close the door of your office and leave work at work and then go home and then uh you know it's all home stuff from there it's kind of an interest interesting twist on that um in terms of like people who come home and do more coding um there's always that analogy that you know an accountant doesn't go home and do more accountant work when they go home for fun (laughs) or whatever i think that was in here too anyway and then there's just some tips about um taking social breaks, I think they call them, about, you know, getting outside and walking and talking to other people about non-technical stuff. And then, um, yeah, I don't know, I had some mixed feelings about it because then there's also the, you know, the, the danger of entrepreneurs or startup founders and saying, you know, I'm just going to spend all day at the office and, you know, until this thing launches. And it's like, I think the good line from here is um, entrepreneurship is a marathon, not a sprint. And so it's that. Right, Yeah. Um, I don't know, just kind of imploring people that, you know, there will always be time for business. It's, you have to kind of keep at it for a long time. You don't want to burn out too early. And so, I I don't know, there were a lot of articles, I haven't thought about it too much, but there were a lot of articles like this, but this one for some reason just kind of, I don't know, written a little bit differently from a different perspective. And so I just yeah. enjoyed it more. So I thought I would put it in. Um, but if you read it too, Tim, what did you think? I do agree. I mean, I know what it's like to be, you know, I had a Crackberry at one point in my life and, and you know, I'd go to, to dinner with my with my wife and my Crackberry would be buzzing away in my pocket and it would be stealing my attention away from her. And to, she sort of said to me, look, we're, we're out having dinner. Let's just not look at the Blackberry. And that sort of, trans, you know, transpired, transpired to the iPhone and so on and so forth. I mean, so many times you go to a restaurant or something and you see two people sitting at a table and both of them are absorbed in the little rectangle in front of their face, right? Um, 
But I do, I do think that, you know, my mother's an occupational therapist, and my sister's an occupational therapist, too. And one of the most important things my mom told me when I was first starting my working life was, you do need to take breaks. You do need to get out of your chair. You do need to go outside. You need to look at the trees and the flowers. If you have a kid, stop the podcast right now and go give them a hug. Okay, now you're back. Those are the important things. you like. And, and I think what this article is sort of saying is that the dangers of being a developer, and I, I know I get sucked into it too, is it's very insular, very sort of your brain is melding into your work and you, you tend to focus on that and you forget about all the other things like, you know, eating and sleeping. And and sometimes, you know, and we, we've talked about this when we talked about solving problem solving, sometimes you need to get up and go away from the work and, and you have those aha moments when you let your brain and your mind and your soul relax so that you can solve problems. So, so it, I think it's very important to to sort of take breaks from your work and to and to spend time with people that mean something to you. Especially if you have a little, if you have, if you're a developer and you have a little kid right now, you know, next thing you know, it's going to be five years later, and they'll have you'll have missed like the the most amazing years of their lives, right? So, you got to take the time and and uh, and and spend that. And and there is no such thing other than other than working in the emergency ward or putting up fires as a fireman. There are no no circumstances in life where you're actually saving lives, writing apps. So you really got to sort of figure out the work balance thing. You'll learn. You'll get. You'll be a better person in the long run if you spend time talking to your colleagues or or going to meetups. You know, and just getting out of there. I mean, getting out of out of this little box that we get involved in with our keyboards and our mice and our apps. I think the other thing I like is it does acknowledge that, sort of, in the way I read it, was that programming is fun and solving problems and, you know, there's a bug and you spend all this time and you track it down and you fix it and that's that's fun. The the author here compares it to doing hard drugs, which I also don't know what that's like, so... But he (laughs) says, I imagine it's something similar to that. Maybe it is, I don't know. But... um, And it is fun, but yeah, just kind of keeping some kind of balance there is um, yeah. is important so yeah the analogy i have the best analogy i have for working on apps and you guys may relate to this or not but uh, there was a tv show used to call be called um uh, all creatures great and small and it was about a, a bunch of veterinarians in in england and at one point there was one episode where the main character has to go and um turn a breached calf around Right, so he puts these big long gloves on that go all the way up to his shoulders, and he puts him, gets himself in the back of the cow, and he reaches inside the cow, and he has to turn this calf around inside this cow. Right? To me, when I'm working on code, that's how I feel. I feel like I'm that immersed in the experience. Right? So you know, you really can't focus on anything else but turning that calf around. And you know, you all know you're laughing because that's exactly how you feel when you got that problem in front of you that you need to solve. Right? No, Tim, I'm just grossed out. Right? Now. Yeah, 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 I don't, I don't wear the gloves, Tim. <laughs> oh, <man>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that that to me that in terms of how immersed we are in the experience, that's that's to me has always been sort of the visual analogy that I that I uh, used to, to to describe the feeling, and it works really really well. This line, I don't know any accountants who love keeping books in their free time. You know, think about that. I mean, we we are the opposite of this. Well, we're like painters Why? and sculptors, though. We're 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 immersed in our art, right? This is this is the reality. In but fact, it, but we're not artists, you know. We are, in a manner spe- we are in a manner I, I speaking. Don't know. I, don't, I don't really agree with that. I think oh, we are artists. To, well, I, mean, I guess it depends on how you approach what you're doing. I think there is a lot of art that goes into the, the stuff that I do. I mean, I'm not talking about you know, painting a, a painting, but but the but the whole creative energy and, and how do you solve this problem? Yeah, exactly. And, yep. And how do you make it a little bit better? Uh, you know, these are things that that are 
well, from they're what make it interesting, but they're also they're the the creative part of it. Yeah, same same. I think the same parts of your brain are involved in in, in doing that kind of stuff. It's been proven scientifically, and and I can tell you, having been a painter and a sculptor, that it is very similar. Or performing music, it's the mm-hmm. same experience, right? And you're always trying to get you're always trying to get one do it one time next time I'll do it a little bit better or I'll refactor that right. code or I'll right. apply right. that paint slightly differently this next time right so you know that feeling you have that you're never really done with your apps and you never really are right um, that's that's the same sort of drive that you know you always, the reason why you build another app is because that last one didn't quite you know meet the mark you know it wasn't perfect and you have to move on to the next one right so or if you refactor something just because it's better that way, right? Or it's more beautiful yeah. or elegant the, the yeah. new way you thought of it. Yeah. When it, it might work perfectly fine the way it was before, and yeah, and sometimes, you, of course, you there, there's reason to, to leave it the way it is if it works just fine. But but you know if if you have the, if you have the time and you have the the freedom, just making making that one thing work a little bit better is is just yeah. very fulfilling. Mm-hmm. And that's the trap, right? That's what this article is well, talking true. about. Yep. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Uh, thanks, Greg. Thanks for that. You're welcome. <laughs> thanks for the cow, Tim. <laughs> you're welcome. Oh, you're welcome. Wait till you see this this uh, episode's picture. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Tim's already sketched it out with his pencil. I bet. Yeah. Oh no, I've, I'm going to go find the clip. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, are we there yet, Aaron? Is that where we are? Yes, We're that's there. where we are. That's where yep. we are. Okay. All right. So let's uh, let's look at some picks for the week, then, shall we? Aaron, do you have a pick? I have a pick. It is a typeface that is freely available on GitHub. It is called Fira Code, and it's a monospace font for programmers. And the interesting and unique thing about it is that it has programming ligatures. And ligatures are special characters in a font that uh, replace uh, others that like combinations of characters. To bring it home for you here, if you type like a not equal to, like uh, here a better example, greater than, greater okay, than or equal to, equal to. so um, right pointy bracket equal sign, it'll combine that into a single character, mm-hmm. um, or like the hyphen right angle bracket to uh, to denote a return value in a Swift method, for example, that will be combined into a single character, a single arrow. So it's uh it's actually a really nice looking font. Um I kind of prefer the overall look of SF Mono, uh which is Apple's programming monospace font, but uh Fira code with these kind of ligatures, I think uh make it make your code when you're looking at your code overall uh a much uh more interesting experience um and and a little bit more readable, I find. Mm-hmm. So, uh, links in the show notes, and you can check it out. Cool. And that comes from your publishing days, love, love of ligatures, doesn't it? <laughs> yes, it does. I was going to say the yeah. same thing. I love monospace fonts, and I love ligatures, so this looks pretty cool. Does this work, actually, with things like Xcode, for example? I mean, so yes, how it, does says it, you need a plug-in. On the Mac. it says you need a plug-in. You need a yes. plug-in, okay. Yeah. Well, I didn't have to get a plug-in. Oh, it says with this maybe, plug-in, maybe but I wasn't really plug-in. sure why. I think to enable ligatures, it says... Yeah, this is working for me in Xcode. Okay, just by choosing that font, and that's it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Interesting, because you would think that if if in one font it's something that takes two characters is replaced by something that takes one character, you well, think it's that more the, a rendering. the editor would have to know about that. Right? Are you using yeah, Xcode eight, know, yeah. Aaron? Yeah. Oh, this does say Xcode seven seven one seven yeah. two seven three. Yeah, I wonder. You need this, pl- mm. or not that you need, but the plugin says it supports Xcode seven. Yeah, the ligature Xcode now. plugin, right? Yeah. yeah. So, I don't know. I don't know. Hmm. I will try it and report back, though. 
it's working in terminal too um i'm noticing it in terminal so yeah there's a, well there's a list of our um you'll see in the show notes if you want to explore it people driving the cars there is a list of uh, applications that it does work with and a list of applications that it does not work with hmm. it doesn't work in iterm too that's a shame but it's coming soon <laughs> uh, that's what i use really and you find that better than regular terminal yes i do but yes, the list of apps that does support this font is quite large. So yeah, probably your text editor of choice, unless you like Sublime Text, unfortunately, is not there. But all the other big ones seem to be here, which is cool. The BB Edit has some special instructions, which we'll have to look into. All right. Cool. Cool. Nito Pichikino. Oh, my, my favorite editor isn't listed in either the works or doesn't work category. Oops. <laughs> is that Ed or Sed? No, it's actually, it's actually Smalltron. Smalltron? Oh, oh, there it is. It's, it's under probably work. Okay. okay. <laughs> Way down at the bottom. Not probably not work. work. Well, that's Smalltron. what they say. Hmm. Smalltron. All right. I don't know why I like it. I just like it. It's, I, picked, I picked it up years ago, and I've just stuck with it. So, Greg, did I see a pick here for you? Yes, I do oh. have a pick. Oh, it's a mystery pick. Uh, well, I, was wait, just, wait. I was just typing, so yeah, but I stopped. Yeah. If there you're you listening to the show, you probably like podcasts and you probably like independent developers and so my pick is the app pocket casts which just came out with version six looking at the url and i thought i bought pocket cast a long time ago and so i went and i thought i think it's a free update if you have a previous version but it wasn't but i bought it anyway because i'm always looking for new podcast apps to try out i think castro is going to be coming out with a new version next week as well which is what i currently use but i thought i would give pocket cast a try again because it introduces uh, like a voice boost feature and also the thing that removes silence in between the gaps while you're listening to stuff i forget right, what they right. called it but everyone knows that feature from other apps like overcast i think mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so yeah independent developer i think the gentleman i've forgotten his name also has a podcast uh, mobile couch is the podcast that uh, he runs and so um yeah i'm not totally sold on the way the app works quite yet i feel like the app can do everything I want it to. I just need to kind of find the settings and bend it to my will. But um, I definitely like Castro, personally. That's what I use because that app just works kind of out of the box exactly how I want it to. Um, But with Pocket Cast, I have set up a playlist and I think I've got it working the way that I I want to. But the app is very well designed and I do appreciate the voice boost and the skipping silence kind of features, which is kind of cool. So yeah, Yeah. you're listening to this, you like podcasts, Check out the app, Pocket Cast. Does, does he have a, a, a speedy up feature like the other? Yeah, you can do? also just set like one, you know, one and a half x, two x, three x on the cool. speed. You can also do that. Um, I think in addition to the removing the silence. So if you just want to speed it up, you like listening to stuff at two x, you can do that here too. Yeah. And the one piece you missed is that is a paragraph here that says that it's been completely rewritten in Swift. Oh, thank you. I forgot about it. not completely oh. rewritten, but core parts of the app I think have been written in. Oh, the Swift. majority of the app, yes. Yeah, Sorry, yeah. So yes, you're you're right. I forgot about that. So he says that's helped out with the bugs and also just performance. Uh, if you listen to him on the podcast, I think they um, he does like Swift and they talk about that a lot. So yeah, mm-hmm. Swift. Mm-hmm. Thank you for adding that. All right, and that's what I was saying at the top of the show. All righty. Um, okay. Mark, pick? I don't have a pick this week. Spent too much time on follow-up. Don't have a pick. <laughs> Tim, do you have a pick? 
Well, I do. It was actually, again, another one of the articles that, that I was going to talk about. But I like to collect Apple stuff. And I'm really frustrated when I heard about this particular one because apparently Apple has been, as you may know, the Olympics are on right now as we record this for the next two weeks uh, in Barcelona, in, sorry, not Barcelona, in uh, Brazil, Rio. The official sponsor of the Olympics is Samsung with their some sort of phone device that they've created. I don't know. But um, Apple, being crafty, has come out with some, uh, I guess, country-based special uh, eye, um, watch bands for the watch, uh, for the Apple Watch. And uh, some of the athletes have been tweeting their uh, purchase of them. And they're only available, I think, uh, 10 kilometers away from the main Olympic park in Brazil somewhere so in the Apple store yeah um, so that's kind of cool uh, just you know if you're if you're a geek like me who likes to collect Apple rare Apple put air paraphernalia there's some to go another reason to go to Barcelona or not Barcelona Rio. another reason to go to Brazil Rio. Or, yeah to Rio yeah yeah exactly so the I Canadian band the is not so nice though have you seen the photo of it no where, where's the, uh, the, the the American one is pretty good because you know it's got the red white and blue I have to google yeah. it but I, it's not on this article that you posted but I saw a right. photo of it and it's just like red and like the middle is white or something like that like I was just mm. like this does not like if someone was wearing this I would not think Canada yeah yeah um, so it was a little unfortunate um, but I guess well, as a matter of fact yeah as a matter of fact this is my first year that I've actually made it over to the Hudson's Bay who are the official outfitter of the Canadian Olympic team and bought myself in a red t-shirt with the word Canada emblazoned across the chest. So I can uh, support that tomorrow and be all sort of supporting and stuff. All right. I found a photo. I put it in oh, the yeah, Skype it chat. Look, Click on that. that. It, it it just looks like, I don't know, it's like red and then white and then red. Oh, but it's but it's one of the one of the uh, uh, nylon or the polyester. Uh, there are the new nylon ones. Woven nylon, yeah, yeah. yeah. Has anybody worn one of those? Anybody tried one of those? I've tried them in the store, but I'm not crazy about them. Yeah. Um, here's uh, that link I put in to GQ.com. Uh, okay, cool. Shows every country oh, band awesome. that's available. Nice. See, the Netherlands one is really nice. It's just straight up orange. I like yeah, that one. Yeah. Yeah. Like the American one and the UK one, like they're close, yeah. you know? Yeah. It's just like a bunch of stri- red, white, and blue stripes in different kind of color patterns, yeah. but I don't know. Yeah, the Netherlands one, South Africa, oh, I think boy. is really nice. New Zealand, all black. That one is nice. The Japan one is kind of cool in a minimalist kind of way, just white with the with a red stripe yeah. representing this. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, Jamaica I think has distinctive colors, so you can tell it looks like the flag. I mean, like China, yeah, not so much. It's just red with the. It's kind of like Japan. Yellow. It's like yeah. all red, but it's got like a yellow representing, I guess, the stars. Yeah. But that doesn't really yeah. look like very much. So I don't know. Yeah. Australia is very strange. If this is right, green and yellow. Hmm, that is odd. Yeah, I don't quite get that. So. Mixed reviews. On some, I was a little disappointed. I, I don't know what I was expecting, but I was definitely disappointed by the Canadian one. Well, you know, it's kind of growing on me. <laughs> <laughs> but I did say it was. Tim will weird. be on eBay right after this. Exactly. <laughs> I wonder how much these are going to go for. Yeah. Well, so the reason I was going to ask about about the nylon bands was because, of course, you know, this is my second summer with uh, with a um, uh, fluoroelastomer band, and. Um, I find that, you know, we have a lot of, right now we're having a heat wave and so we, it's really, really humid. And so it gets kind of, you know, you start sweating and then it just doesn't feel right. It's kind of gets all clammy and it's not underneath the band. And mm-hmm. I wonder if the, like a leather band or, or these nylon bands would be more comfortable to wear. That's why I, I kind of asked the question. So maybe if some of our fans of the show are listening and they, they have an opinion on the uh, watches that are available or watch bands that are available. 
they could let us know. It's a synthetic, though. I feel like it wouldn't be very good. But I don't know. Aaron, in your quick experience, what did you think? I, I just didn't find it terribly comfortable or, or look like something I would like, mm-hmm. which is completely subjective. But um, I'm a huge fan of the Floralastomer. I think they're wonderful. Um, I bought a yellow one some time ago, and I've been wearing it ever since. Even um, in this heat wave, Aaron? You're, it's still comfortable? Even in this heat wave. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I try not to stay outside for too long. <laughs> yeah, well, sometimes I'm playing with my band, and if I have my like my musical band, and, and we play in a hot you know studio, and sometimes, you know, you're, you're in the middle of playing, and I, I often take my watch off because it just gets really uncomfortable, right? So, yeah, get drenched. Too much about music. Aaron doesn't like to talk about music. Okay. <laughs> That's the after show, when we talk about Pocket Head. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it, you didn't use the B word, did you? All right. So we have to mention Buckethead at least once in every podcast from now on. That's true. For the people driving in their cars, right? That's right. And who are purchasing, oh man, what's it called? The currency? In-app purchase currency? Bitcoin? Bitcoin? What? Smurfberry. Smurfberry. Oh, Tim already already mentioned Someone already mentioned that earlier, though, yes. I did, yeah, I did. Cool. In honor honor of our our fallen podcaster. (laughs) Let's not say it like that. (laughs) (laughs) Who had to work instead of coming here. Yes. Alrighty, so that's it for another week. And so, Aaron, if people want to find you on the interwebs, where would they look? Twitter.com slash Aaron Vay. Go. And uh, Greg, if people want to find you on the interwebs, where would they look? You can send them an email, gregh at greghio.com. Alrighty, and Mark? Mark R at smapsoft.com. Alright, once again, my name is Timitra. I am T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A on Twitter. That's the best way to get a hold of me these days. And that's it. We'll see you again next week. Alright, bye-bye. Bye. 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 And you just listened to the More Than Just Code podcast. If you want to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. There you can find a summary and show notes of each episode. We list links to the items that we talk about on the show as well as links to the apps on the App Store. If you like the podcast, please leave a comment on the website. And if you can, please write a review on iTunes. If you're listening on Overcast, go ahead and press the recommend button. It really helps others find out about the show. You can also follow us on Twitter. Once again, the podcast's Twitter account is at mtjc underscore podcast. If you'd like to support us, you can pledge any amount on patreon.com slash mtjc. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. I was disappointed. I guess I didn't get to talk about my first Mac. Oh well, have a chance. We can skip that. We don't need to go back into the past oh, come anymore. On. You were so excited to do yeah, that. And I'm curious. Audible, too. First computer was Commodore 64. Ooh, had mm-hmm. that for a long time. Then I yeah. went right to a PC. I think I had like a 286, and then a 486, and yeah. then maybe Did it have a, a turbo button on the front of it. Did it have a turbo button on the front? Uh, I think it didn't do anything though. Um, oh. Maybe the 486, the turbo button was like the opposite. It would slow down the computer if you were playing games that <laughs> games that weren't timed properly. Then you would push really? the button really? to slow it down. Oh. If you remember, yeah. they used to do that. Yeah, and wasn't then, that like an 8-bit, 16-bit, or something like that? No, or it was, was a it eight, processor. It was usually like an 8 megahertz, 12 megahertz swap. Oh, I think okay. back in the right. 286 days or in the 386 days. But mm-hmm. by the time I had one with the button, yeah, it would slow it down, which came in handy because. You know, I had lots of old games and they would, you know, they were like so fast you couldn't play them. And so that's what the Switch was for. Really? Wow.
Um, yeah, first Mac was not until 2003. It was a white iBook G4, the first G4 iBook. And I think that was mm -hmm. in the 10.3 days. I, well, before you moved to down south, you, you gave me your, your old Wall Street and your old... Uh, yeah, I bought those on eBay for like, you know... Twenty dollars or something like that. Oh, really? Okay. Just because yeah, I probably. wanted uh, wanted some old Macs to play around with. So yeah, but yeah, I didn't actually buy one to use until two thousand three, and that was because uh, I think I had a ThinkPad, an IBM, back when IBM mm -hmm. was making them, and I would dual boot Windows and Linux. So I would do most of my work in Linux, but once in a while you would need Word or something like that. Um, I think we had like what was the precursor to Open? I don't forget. I forget. Like the Open Office kind of thing, but it didn't always work. Right. So once mm. in a while, I need to reboot. And so by the time OS 10.3 came around, it was pretty stable. And I was like, hey, this is cool. I can have my Unix command line, and I can run Word, and I can run Photoshop, and I don't have to boot, reboot anymore. And so that was it. And so that was really what, what brought me to the Mac. Yeah, I actually ran Darwin for years on 68K Macs before, before they, uh, or maybe they were PowerPCs. Must be maybe PowerPCs, but some really old hardware I used to run... Um, Oh no, it was Debian, 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 however you say it, mm. Linux, I used to run that. And then, then Darwin for years before um, beta for OS X came out. I saw some tweet about um, Launch D isn't open source anymore. And so they said that's like the end of Darwin because oh, you really? know, if, you, if you can't boot the system anymore, then you can't really do anything. Well, I, should, I should look well, that up again. But I heard something like that. The Apple open source page is always kind of woefully behind, but apparently it's like really, really far behind. And LaunchD got merged in with some other project, which whose name I've forgotten, and so which is, isn't open source. And they said, um, I think somebody asked Apple, and there was kind of no response. And they're like, "Oh, I guess that's it." But again, wow. unless you want to go back to init and you know somehow shoehorn that in, then we're kind of lost. And you, I don't think you can install like a clean Darwin install without OS X anymore, Mac OS anymore. So, not that I know many people who are doing that, except for you, Tim. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. I haven't done that. I used to run a DNS server on a, I think it was a Quadra 700, actually. Wow. Yeah. Well, because it was sitting there doing nothing, and we needed a DNS server for the company, and mm -hmm. I had the space, and I just basically did that. Right. And that's when, actually, that's when I cut my teeth on PHP and, and uh, web hosting and stuff like that as well, too. I can remember when Quadras were the top of the line and the oh, yeah. best ones you ever wanted. <laughs> oh, yeah. I have, a, I have a Quadra 700 downstairs, and I think it's got a... Um, I think it has one of those Daystar cards in it, you know, to, to kick up the processor to the next mm, level. Mm -hmm, yeah, mm -hmm. so. Yeah. Yeah, those are the good old days when you could just go out and buy those. Uh, I think it was, was it OWC that used to make those processor upgrades? You could just kind of pop in on your own and get an extra year or two out of your computer? Yeah, there's a company called Newer Technologies. You just yeah, used to make that right. stuff. Yeah, and same, then same they, they went out of business, and I think Newer, or sorry, OWC bought them and brought oh, them back. Because okay, okay. Newer, you can still get newer gear now. like a, Right, right. A, for that brand name, right? So yep. they must have bought the process name, and because they do things like, uh, I think you can buy um, uh, replacement hard drives for your uh, your your MacBooks, like your MacBook Air. Or, um, yeah, where you know the hard drive comes with like a 128. It's on a stick. You can buy a, like a 256 or mm -hmm. uh, 512 even, right? So, and they give you like a little case so you can have like a USB 3 drive with the, with the, the old drive, so you have yep. some extra space, you know. So. Yep. Greg, I see you added Launch D here. Is that just for our notes? Uh, yeah, Launch D in the uh, <laughs> my uh, six double O two certificate that uh, Mark would love to see. Yeah, those are from what yeah. we talked yeah. about at the beginning. <laughs> six double O two. That's right. <laughs> Learned all about JK flops and whatnot. 
Oh man, I've lost. Pro- actually, it. probably not anymore. <laughs> that was when I took it. Now it's probably very different. <laughs> it was MOSFETs. MOSFETs and MOSFETs, op-amps, yeah. I think, was the second yeah, half. Op-amps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this is uh, episode 104, and Jaime was so excited about being on 104. What does that mean? Why was that? Well, it's 52 times it, two, right? Yeah. Although we've we've there's two unpublished ep- episodes technically, right? So, and we I think we missed two weeks or one week or something for Christmas or something like that the first year. So actually, last weekend when I was publishing the show was uh, August the 6th, and that was the actual anniversary date of the first time we uh, published a uh, podcast. Hmm. Uh, two years, that is. So there you go. So whatever. As Aaron likes to say, just another spin around the sun. Yeah. It's yeah, I was disappointed that I missed uh, number 100, but oh well. Did you? I did, yeah. I was traveling. Okay. Yeah, and this is number 11 for you, Greg, right? Uh, who's keeping count? Who knows? <laughs> You were pretty excited when you got to 10. <laughs> I was going to say, we got some real-time Ask MTJCs, but they were kind of silly questions, so I didn't yeah. bring them up. Uh, said, is Greg truly the swiftiest developer out there? Referencing last week. <laughs> so I refuse to even question that anymore. And our friend Justin Stanley asked, is my rent $12,000 a month? Yeah, yeah. And in what way, and maybe slightly seriously, in which ways does the cost of living affect the developer community yeah. in California? Hmm. Which that maybe the second half is a serious question. My rent is not twelve thousand a month as well, but yeah, twelve eleven eleven nine way more than twelve. But it's like fifteen. <laughs> what are you talking about, Justin? Come on. Yeah. No, even San Francisco is not that bad yet. Yeah. yeah, I guess you know the the objection I have to this article is that no one's holding a gun or head saying you have to live in Palo Alto. True, she could commute or whatever, right? And she could commute to somewhere ten miles away, and it would be a lot cheaper. Yeah, what's well, like my buddy who lives at Sacramento? Is that too far? Oh, Sacramento that's pretty way. far. That's, that's pretty far. far. Yeah. 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 Although I did have a Uber or Lyft driver who lives in Sacramento and drives into the city here and yeah. drives. I believe that. Uh, but he, believe that. He, he drives down like on Sundays and works for four days and sleeps in his car and kind of showers okay. at the Y or something, showers at the gym or something, and then goes home <laughs> to Sacramento. So At, at least he uh, tells you he showers, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I was like, don't they have Lyft or don't they have Uber over there? He's like, they do, but the rates aren't as good and you don't get as many rides. Whereas he, you know, I was like, is it really worth it? And he's like, yeah, he doesn't go back and forth every day. He said he comes down and stays for, you know, four or five days. And then that makes it worth it. So I was like, oh, okay. That's probably the furthest I've ever heard a Uber driver living. Usually they're like, I live in the East Bay. I live in San Mateo, you know, live further down in the South Bay or whatever. But Sacramento yep. was definitely the furthest I'd ever heard of. That's, that's pretty far. Uh, I mean, you do, you do come across people who work in like, or live in like uh, Tracy or, or um, Stockton every once in a while and, and commute in here. Hmm, okay. uh, but that even seems as, pretty far to me. Yeah. It, it is pretty far. Yeah. But it's not yeah. as bad as Sacramento. But it yeah, is, it's is pretty far. Hmm. Speaking of Uber, um, is Uber Eats part of Uber, or is that just somebody grabbed the name? I think it's part of Uber. I think I've seen it in the app when I started oh, Uber, up. And, Uber Eats? Did you, Uber did you Eats, yeah. yeah. It is. Yeah, it is part yeah. of Uber. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, you see people riding bicycles with uh, food on their back as they're delivering it, I guess. Really? They do it on bikes? That's interesting. Yeah. Intro. I guess it makes sense in the city. Oh, yeah. Downtown, we have a lot of bike couriers, yeah? Yeah. 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 So, best so, way to get around. From what I've heard of it, and probably in San Francisco, they have bikes too. That would make sense. But, but in sort of the more spread out areas, it's just regular Uber drivers. They get a call to come pick it up from you know, yeah. the place. And, oh, really? Okay. Yeah. yeah. That's what the yeah. way I've heard of it too. I've, I've seen cars with them. Um, I'm pretty sure I've seen someone get out of a car, an Uber driver, and they had like an Uber Eats thing, I thought. 
I don't remember. Maybe so I'm thinking like Amazon, Amazon for, Fresh or something. I don't know. Is it for like restaurants that don't deliver kind of thing or or, or what? Like no, no it's, it's they they it's not uh, that you're thinking of. I mean, that'd be more like a, a DoorDash kind of thing, right? Yeah, like. Uh, said, but what this like, is, yeah. Uber, they just they choose a place, and I don't know how they choose the places, but it's it's one place that they make a bunch of food at, mm-hmm. and then on that day, that's the thing that's available for Uber Eats. Oh, so, okay. so they'll send you a you know a notification or something saying, "Hey, we got uh, you know uh, uh, carnitas burritos today from La Taqueria in San Francisco, the number one burrito place in the country according to Five Thirty Eight. This is follow up, right, Mark? Follow up, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and if you want one, you just you know press this button in your Uber app, and they they just bring it to you. Oh, cool. Yeah. Wow. So this is kind of follow up too, Mark. You know, you remember we talked about Periscope on the on the show, I guess last yeah. year when it came out, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. And and well, and you may or may not have heard of this band called Tragically Hit, which we talked about at the, sure. the show. Yeah, I heard of them. yeah. And I think I told you that the lead singer has been diagnosed with with brain cancer, right? Right, right. So yeah. they're doing a tour right now across Canada, and one of the cool things about it is, well, one of the annoying things was uh, we managed to get tickets right away because uh, we were just we timed it right, but a lot of tickets got. Uh, Picked up by scalpers and it ended up on StubHub for like two two thousand times the price of the ticket, right? Wow. So people were up in arms about it. But anyway, so they started playing in Victoria, I guess, uh, a week ago, and they've been playing. They played a couple of nights in Calgary, a couple of nights in Edmonton. They played in London. They're playing their first night in Toronto is here today, and they're so they're doing three shows in Toronto, and then they're, they're doing their final show in in Kingston, their hometown, where they come from, mm-hmm. and that one's going to be broadcast by the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation on like multi, so they're doing you know TV, uh, Radio One, Radio Two, and they're even putting it on YouTube, right? So which is kind of cool. But what's really neat about it is um, uh, a friend a friend of mine who works uh, in at the CBC told me about this. Uh, people on Periscope are broadcasting the entire concerts. Hmm. And this is one guy that, that's been going to all the shows, and he just holds up his iPhone. He's probably got a big, giant car battery under his seat yeah, to yeah. keep it live, right? But, yeah, he's been broadcasting the whole show. So right now there's probably, like, 19 streams coming out of the Air Canada Center of people just, you know, different seats showing this concert, which is kind so of So these cool. are these are officially sanctioned? They're allowed to do this? No, I, I don't think they're allowed to do okay, it. Well, okay, I mean, yeah, like, yeah, you yeah. know, it's like, this is going to be the last time you're going to be able to see these people. Right, what right, the hell? Right. But it's like a total, like, it's kind of like, um, you know, the whole idea behind Periscope was to sort of be part of that event, right? To be right, able to right. experience, you know, whatever you're experiencing, share it, share your event with you, with other people. Right, but right. And, and you see the odd, you know, concert every now and then being broadcast on, on there, you know, mm-hmm. like, uh, but yeah, this is, but it's amazing. Every single show that these guys have put on and and they're they're kind of like i don't know frank zappa used to do this i'm not sure how many, how many other bands do this but the tragically hip are renowned for never playing the same set list twice yeah yeah great right. do that yeah so so it's kind of like every show across canada has been a slightly different experience like sometimes they'll do like one of their hits in electric like it was on the record and other times they, they play it acoustic you know so mm-hmm. getting a variety of different shows so it's kind of cool that, that, that yeah periscope is fun, yeah, it's, sort it's of, great that there's a record unfortunately i don't, I don't think the sound quality is going to be that great in periscope well, Right. Yeah, you know what? It's it's actually not bad. I mean, you put a pair of headphones on and away you go. But I mean, the, the, and the thing about it is now they're starting to show up on YouTube too because people have been cap. 
capturing them on their phones and publishing mm-hmm. to YouTube, right? So it's kind of a neat thing. Like you know, this this our 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 man Gord uh, Gord Downey is not going to be with us for too many too many years from now. Who knows? You know, I don't know how bad the situation is, but this is like the last tour sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. But it's cool to see that this technology is being used to sort of share the experience with people yeah. who couldn't get tickets couldn't to the show, there. right? Right. So yeah, that is very cool. Yeah. yeah. So that's my follow-up on Periscope. Mm-hmm. <laughs>